Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is July 16th, 2020. It's Thursday, and everything seems to come down on Thursday, right? Because we've got hump day, which is the peak Wednesday, uh, for the work week, which has been established for us, of course, and everything rolls down, and usually Thursday is the day that everybody drops some news, even though our president likes to set fires on Friday. Now, uh, it's only four days away to... July 20th. And that's where uh, the chokehold is being released. And that's because of what is happening this week. Now, um, I hope all of you that are listening now uh, were able to uh, listen to the show yesterday because I kind of told you what was going on yesterday without telling you what was going on because, you know, uh, it's not being cryptic. Okay. And it's not uh, trying to, hey, you know, it's having you being able to see things differently when things happen. Yeah, I already knew that that was going to happen. And (laughs) they're probably thinking, how did you know? Kind of like how I saw the National Guard was in Arkansas rounding up people supposedly for COVID to put them in isolation camps. And Mina Mina dropped yesterday by the FBI vault. It's not a coincidence. And what do they call it? Um, Deltas, proofs. Can you see that there's people out there that actually have information? It's not some mysterious figure. It's figures. We're in the quantum age. Even our president said, we do not have, well, we have the technology, but the people do not have the technology we actually have. So it's important um, to remember that and to remember that prayer is one of the biggest and most powerful sources of fuel for good. You know, there's there's a saying, water does not hold a constant shape. And if people thought of time in the same essence, you would understand just that. So today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about current events. I want to get into the hacks or not hacks and explain to you why what happened at Twitter happened yesterday. And then I'm going to walk you through just to see what is going on that you're not seeing. Uh, Well, you're getting peaks of it, see, because that's the thing about people in power. They do not want you to have it, and they do not want you to see that they are gaining it until they have it all, and then they just don't care anymore, right? Uh, That's the way it usually works. Uh, No, 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 we're on your side. No, 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 we love you. No, 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 we're for the people. But then suddenly, you know... Uh, All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. You see, we're seeing that now, aren't we? That there's a two-tier justice system, right? That's the way it is. You know, all animals shall not kill, 
unless there's a reason for it. Are we seeing that now? See, throughout time, there have been people that like water, which we in this realm can manipulate with our hands, right? The shape of water, we manipulate. We make it a solid, a gas, we put it in a vessel. Uh, and water needs a vessel. So does time. Time requires vessels. Have been better is to put things through. And if we look into the past, it definitely proves the future. So, you know, today's show in the second hour, I'm going to take you back to the early 1900s, then at the tip end of World War II, so you can understand what happened on the Korean Peninsula, what is really going on with China, and what we are seeing is a counter-deployment to the same strategy back then being deployed on the Asian continent now. So you see where we are. Okay? I, I think that will help a lot of people see that so much is happening. So I thought I would start off with uh, just our current events that are pretty interesting. And I'm going to put down the summary from Fox News where they had the National Association of the Police Organization. Uh, you know, they endorse President Trump. That's a big, big deal. Big, big deal. And during the second hour where we are revisiting history, you're going to see how the, the police played a role. Oh, and by the way, and how anarchists, get this, started all their, you know, the Chaz thing also happened. Something like that happened in Seattle with the race wars back in 1919. So for months now, when I said, whoa, they're doing everything from 1919. And you know, the president has said it and people were mocking him. He sound dumb. It's like, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Uh, so let's take a listen to what Fox News is telling us which, by the way, are under notice, just advising on that. What's up? Up for our three hours last night. <laughs> for our three hours? Yeah. You were working late again on the Tucker Show. Yeah, uh, Jed, good morning to you. Uh, it is the 16th day of July, and yet it seems as if it's Groundhog Day. Every day we get up and there's more of this kind of stuff that we're about to show, folks. Yeah, uh, yeah, we got a few uh, themes running throughout the show, and this one uh, captured our attention yesterday afternoon. Fox confront these cops and actually uh, uh, whack them with weapons. Someone said they're bats, they look like sticks, uh, and they Jeez. feel as though they were impervious to arrest. Now, there were some arrests yesterday, and of course, you got this video. You can make additional arrests, but this goes to show you the chaos in the city. At the same time, you got the mayor meeting with Black Lives Matter's uh, leaders talking about how they're going to start cracking down on crime, but there's no presence of any police officers in the, in the press conference, but talking about how they're going to work together and how this is a great victory for Black Lives Matter. Now, if they did not take part in the violence there, let's hear about it. If someone's beating on cops in their name, let's find out from their perspective. But things like that galvanize people against a movement, not for a movement, I believe. In fact, here is... Uh, yeah, and there's this... Go ahead, Jedi, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, no, I was just going to say there's a sense among criminals right now and people that want to inflict this type of behavior on police that they're going to get away with it. There's a sense that there won't be consequences for them and that they have this this room to breathe, so to speak, that if they exhibit this behavior, uh, they will be either glorified by some in media uh, who will justify their behavior or they won't face As a result of the outcome of today's endorsement process, we proudly endorse President Trump. President Trump addressed yeah. our board on Monday. Uh, the same opportunity was given to Vice President Biden. And as to why the actual participation did not occur, I would defer you to the vice president and or the leadership of his campaign. So Joe Biden didn't even bother to show up. And of course he wouldn't because maybe they just have the latest winner face off, putting on some really elaborate makeup uh, to make him look like his daddy. Right. <laughs> We've seen that before. Remember, uh, there is a, you know, whole division within our intelligence community that can make you look like anyone. And you don't need a lot of work on Hunter uh, to make it look as needed. And they're fine tuning and practicing and doing you know, it might be one of those Scooby-Doo movements <laughs> if they're ever in the same room. I could just totally picture it. Like, seriously, I could picture. Let's pretend that they even attempt to put them on the stage to, to debate. I could picture the Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Our president just grabbing the top saying, aha, there you are, Hunter. So... You know, so we need this coronavirus thing alive, well, and ready uh, for them, right? That's that's the thing. So let's just continue. Yeah, Joe Biden didn't even bother to participate. So you now have organizations like this that represent a lot of police officers that are going to come forward and say, we need to side with someone, we need to endorse someone who we feel has our officers back. These officers get up every day and they put on a uniform and they put their lives on the line for someone else. They are not going to continue to do that if they feel that there is someone in a position of authority that does not support them. And important to note, this association endorsed Obama in 2008 and 2012. So this is a big step for them. They didn't endorse anyone in 2016, but they are looking around the country right now and they're looking at what's happening and saying, we cannot continue to send our officers into harm's way if you don't have some form of political leadership that will have their back. And they view that to be President Trump. Absolutely. And this is very powerful, not only because this particular organization represents, represents a thousand law enforcement unions across the country and has over a quarter of a million members, but also keep in mind, this is a huge... Um, you know, slap in the face to Joe Biden, Joe Biden, who considers himself a union guy and for the police unions to which had, as you just pointed out, Jed, had endorsed uh, Obama Biden twice. And now they're coming out and with a huge endorsement for Donald Trump. That's really something. Uh, other police unions say they felt abandoned by Joe, who refused to condemn the attacks on the police after the police uh, involved killing of George Floyd. Meanwhile, the president himself, who's made it very clear, uh, you know, come November, it's going to be a very clear choice. Who are you going to vote for? Joe Biden, who, uh, you know, is on the side of a lot of people who want to defund the police, although Biden himself says that he is not for that or Donald Trump, who is the law enforcement candidate. And since they know that and the police association just backed him, then uh, why aren't they uh, 
resigning, calling all sick. Why don't they just all call in sick and let Mayor de Blasio figure it out? Uh, That's the thing. There's a rising violence and no one's doing anything. And I want to get into like these secret voters in Kentucky too. Uh, Assaulting those police officers. How many of them are actually still in jail because of the state's no bail laws? It's a head scratcher. And a lot of people feel like it's got to stop, Brian. So many people uh, come up to us uh, because he's a terrible candidate and a horrible debater, was given this nomination because he wasn't Bernie Sanders. And by hiding out in his basement and all the pressure on the president to make big decisions, and he's, sometimes he's made big mistakes, sometimes big successes, he's trailing in almost every major poll, including the battleground states that emerged yesterday. In fact, the NBC poll has him trailing by about 11 points. Uh, with that union vote, it could bring other union votes. That's what Kimberly Strassel thought about, and she talked about it in the Wall Street Journal, talked about it in our channel last night. But if people uh, who believe that Donald Trump will be successful, they talk about a secret vote, the underground vote. Because if you wear a red hat or tell, put a bumper sticker on your car, you're open to derision, maybe physical attacks. So people keep their mouth shut, and they want to go into the voting booth, and they got to make their decision. So what do the polls say about a so-called secret vote for Donald Trump that will not appear in any polls? Will this appear in a poll? When asked, are there secret voters who support Trump? Trump's secret voters, 27%. If you have a secret about Joe Biden, only 5% are keeping it. Yes, only a few, 17%. Combine those two. Yes, not sure how many, 13%. Okay, that's those uh, stats. That 27 has to be at least 77. So uh, this morning, uh, I had to take my daughter's kitten to finally get snipped. I was so tired of him howling all night. <laughs> I can't even explain to you. So, you know, coronavirus. So we had to wait months uh, to actually get him in. And in the area I live, uh, masks are mandated. Now, I don't wear them in my car. That's stupid. I don't wear them when I walk around. That's also stupid. But when I enter a business who can be fined and shut down if people are not there with masks, I wear one. So I had my MAGA mask and I wore it proudly and I was, you know, I um, dropped the cat off in the morning because, you know, no contact. And they're like, you're going to pick him up in the afternoon. And then I saw a small business, a little bakery, looked a little bit run down, small family bakery. They had the little, I was like, hey, Phoebe, let's go over there and get like a, a bread for the house. And she just oh, we could just go to the supermarket. I said, never. You don't go to the big chains. You go to the small businesses. We've said this. She's like, yeah, okay, fine. Let's walk over there. So she's like, mom, flip your mask around. Just let the white part show. It's like, no, wear it proud. She's like, I don't want, and I was like, listen, if you don't want to, you know, uh, be around me, if I stand for what I am, you'll be very surprised, Phoebe, just how many people that you think are not voting for President Trump are and how much they support him. She's like, oh, so I walk in all proudly and I'm wearing it, right? I put it on at the door and I walk in and there's that big red Make America Great Again across my face. And the lady looks at me and she has, she pulls up her mask. She's like, hi. And she's like, oh my gosh, I love your mask. And Phoebe trails in the back, you know, with her mask that says Trump 2020. And she was ecstatic. Not the type of person that you would think would, uh, you know, uh, 
support President Trump. Uh, you know, n- you know, I'm just saying, you know, when you see rainbows and, you know, fists, you don't. And <sighs> there it was. And then the baker owner comes out. He's like, do you know where I can get some flags? Because apparently they're going to go out on boats to show their support. So secret Trump voters. But what I dropped to you was secret voters in Kentucky. So that's something I want you guys to keep an eye on. Uh, and that has to do with um, Andy Bashir. So let's see what they had to say about Twitter so we can get into that too uh, in a little bit because I want to also uh, raise some concerns that I've been seeing going around in Europe. So for over th- almost three years now, on Red State, I have been telling you to pay attention to the, the Eastern Mediterranean. And now, uh, yesterday, there was a huge conflict between Ankara and Paris. So Macron came out, uh, really attacked Erdogan. And now people are questioning uh, the motives, not, not the French, but the people, because the French will never leave the UN. They, they created it. This was kind of Macron's Britney Spears moment, only he didn't shave his head. He was just like, he blew up. And it was, whoa, I was taken back when I saw it. I was like, what? Uh, So he's really upset with what's going on. Uh, The immense uh, atrocities that are happening in Syria, which is pretty quiet right now because Russia's got it under control. Uh, Libya, you know, how they control a portion of Libya and they've taken over the Eastern Mediterranean Sea. And now turning the, you know, the actual most ancient, uh, you know, relic of historical Christianity is going to become a mosque. So things are really heating up there. But we're seeing a lot of movements in Asia and this whole China, China, China that's happening that should raise flags to all of you. Uh, This is a huge concern for everyone and you're going to see why because we are being battled by three reality hacking tactics so there's the reality hackers hacking you to see china is evil and everything and everything but agree with the globalists that are like oh we can take care of this then there's the reality hacking of Oh, no, China isn't bad, and they're just making mistakes. We have to accept their communist ways. And then there's the reality hackers that are trying to hack both the reality hackers, and then there's the facts. So we're going to elaborate those facts. So now, before we get to that, let's start with Twitter. Yesterday, I explained to you the method of concealing information. The way you can conceal information in the age of information that is digitized is by being able to or having the ability to go in, delete, change, and replace without detection. Now, that can't happen. It's not like you can go into a server and say, oh, I'm going to go right here and I'm going to eradicate this, 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 and this. And... One day in the future, 10, 20 years down the line, the computer's going to say, yep, somebody came in and swapped it. But, but if there is a hack, here's how you find hacks. You take your whole server and all that data. 
you then mirror it. You then use that new mirror with the omitted information you want, and then you slot in the information you want at that timestamp. And then you get rid of the original one. See, this is what the DNC hack was about. Uh, remember, the RNC was also hacked. <laughs> uh, so uh, hacks are not hacks. And you're going to say, well, what did they want? Come on, guys. Do you really think Barack Hussein Obama was sending weird messages or DMs? Do you think that Brennan was texting people with his verified account? No. The only accounts that were not able to tweet were not all the verified in fact, Millie, v- Millie Weaver, Scott Pressler, while everyone was still was banned from being able to tweet, to do anything, they were. So who were the people that were disabled? Both check marks and non-check marks. Very important here. What is it that they wanted? So first, let's listen to what they're telling you happened. Well, High-profile accounts were hacked. Todd Pyro joins us live with the names of those who were targeted by the scammers, and they're big. Yes, they are, Brian. Good morning to you. Politicians, billionaires, and celebs all hit by this hack. From Jeff Bezos to Warren Buffett, Joe Biden to Barack Obama, Kanye West to Kim Kardashian, hackers breaking into their accounts and posting messages like this, asking people to send the digital currency Bitcoin. These posts have been deleted, but the account linked to those tweets has more than $100,000 in it. Unclear how much of that money came from the scam, if any. Twitter support saying over Overnight, quote, we detected what we believe to be a coordinated social engineering attack by people who successfully targeted some of our employees with access to internal systems and tools. CEO Jack Dorsey tweeting, tough day for us here at Twitter. We all feel, feel terrible this happened. We're diagnosing and we'll share everything we can when we have a more complete understanding of exactly what happened. <laughs> See, If you were on Tory Says, the minute you saw this, you'd be like, stop. Okay, this is not a hack. Uh, So think about it. It wasn't just those accounts. Think about it. It wasn't just those accounts. And if you haven't heard my show from yesterday, please go ahead. I have it as audio only on iTunes, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, uh, as a podcast. I'm on, I'm on YouTube and Twitch because a lot of people have asked me to do video. Uh, so I'm working on that too, uh, you know, to get video and set that up too. So now you're able to see these things I'm playing. Um, but yeah, please go ahead and re-listen to it because you're going to be like, well, how did you know? Well, there's a lot of things, you know, people know (laughs) that are pretty spot on, but now they're just going to be wondering how is it that we knew because now we know it's not a hack. And remember, this is a private company. So why would a private company go ahead and publicly state that there's a hack? Ah, do you want to know why? Because that comes with criminal subpoenas. See, that's something Twitter can't avoid. So criminality of subpoenas. I recycled an article where I had found actual child pornography on Twitter in March of 2020. And it's graphic. I retweeted it out. Uh, it's on ToriSays.com. Uh, it, it was vile. It wasn't like, here's a link to go to whatever. 
there were like embedded videos and photos and men asking questions. Uh, And I just wanted to tell you, on the day that I was actually compiling all this, feeling sick um, with my uh, my friend and great writer, if you're not following her, Kennington says she does some great work. um, I stumbled upon some really weird small account that... (sighs) Almost reminded me of one of Obama's, because he has many, uh, secret accounts, you know, because those are the accounts that were never purged by Twitter. Remember when Twitter said, hey, if you've never tweeted and you just have an account, your account will be deleted. Remember when they made that announcement a year ago? Well, there's still accounts from like 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 12 that haven't put out one tweet. They're following a lot of people, and then the people that are following them are also with few followers, and then those accounts with the few followers that are following them are also followed by the same people. It's like a group, like a high school clique. Just saying. So I'll tell you what exactly they were obfuscating. It wasn't messages, because those major accounts weren't the messages. Uh, Just uh, give me one moment so we could just play this quickly heart to our teammates working hard to make this right. The FBI says they're aware of the hack. Senator Josh Hawley demanding Dorsey cooperate with any investigation, writing a letter saying in part, quote, a successful attack on your system servers represents a threat to all of your users' privacy and data security. Twitter temporarily preventing some verified users from tweeting after the hack. They're now working on restoring full access to those accounts. Guys, back to you. All right. Uh, thanks a lot, Todd. Uh, we'll see where that goes and see if Senator, Senator Hawley's request uh, to get involved will be honored. Jed? Yeah, that's exactly right. But for now, we're going to head over to Jillian Mealy with some breaking news from the Supreme Court. Jillian, what that's do you have? Right. Good morning. So let's go ahead and start with this Fox News alert. Well, is it getting fans at events, Jillian? Yep. I was watching uh, the USL last night. They had about 5,000 fans in the stadium. I think there's every NFL team is talking about bringing some fans in. We might even see them in baseball. So I think that's a good sign. We'll see. I hope so. We've got Matt Yocum. He's the pit. What happened there? Did um, Fox just go over that Supreme Court red alert? Just no, not there. Done. We're finished. We'll get back to that tomorrow. It's not that important today. Uh, So I am going to now play a quick clip of Maria Bartomo. And someone corrected me saying it. It's not that. It's I can't change the way I say it. I'm sorry. Uh, What she said about the massive Twitter attack. Take a listen. uh, How did a a hack of this scale happen? What's your take? Should users be concerned about uh, their own accounts? Yeah, you know, it is something to worry about. At this particular attack, if you look back at time, not long ago, it was Jack Dorsey, Twitter CEO's uh, account that got hacked into. And that was through a security hole in Twitter. They had patched that one up, not thinking it's related to this particular attack. What's happening right now with Twitter is a massive, massive violation of their own security. Somebody got the keys to Twitter and their administrative controls internally, the kind that the employees... so stop. Remember when Jack Dorsey's account was hacked? Okay, he he was actually hacked, but not hacked, threatened by his investors. 
That's what you need to know. Threatened by his investors in the cabal, and what did he do? He ran away to Africa. And if you heard my episode from New Year's Day, I told you Africa is going to be coming into the scene, and it is going to be huge. And when you see Africa constantly coming up, you know it's almost there. We're almost at the peak of this global war. and Because we are at war. We're just not realizing it because of this information congestion through Operation Gridlock, of course, through our social media, where we're constantly following thousands and thousands of people. And that way it's uh, choking and allowing the shadow banning to be in effect. And because of Project Mockingbird. Anyway, listen to what they said. Would use to control your account. And they went and changed. This is how it worked. They went into your profile. They changed who the person is that's in charge of your account as well as the email. And at that point, they went ahead and started posting as you. This is a very, very intelligent, coordinated attack. How they got into Twitter isn't clear yet. They're working on that. What we do know is that the most common way that your account can get hacked is through a phishing scheme where you click something, it looked legit, it's not, and you didn't even know you got it, and now they've got the keys to you. Stop. That's BS. Okay, I'm going to roll my commercials uh, for my president and Laura Loomer and for General Flynn, and we'll be right back, okay? The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. Every decision will be made to benefit American workers and American families. America will start winning again, winning like never before. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. Do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America. We will not fail. Our country will thrive and prosper again. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. When America is united, America is totally unstoppable. After nearly four years, my family's nightmare is finally over. We couldn't have survived this without the love and support of the millions of patriots around the world. Thank you from the bottom of our heart. Hi, I'm Laura Loomer, and I'm running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District. Wouldn't it be horrible if we lived in a nation where journalists were silenced just because they confronted the political and media elite? You might think that could never happen in America, but it did. And to me. For confronting people like Hillary Clinton on her corruption and Ilhan Omar for her ties to radical Islamic terror groups, I have been banned on pretty much every single social media platform. And if that doesn't sound extreme enough, I'm also banned on Uber and Lyft. I know, I cannot understand that last one either. 
When this all happened to me, I contacted the media and members of Congress. I asked them for help. I kept calling, I kept emailing, but I never received a reply. And that's when it hit me. I'm a well-known journalist who has the phone numbers of the most powerful people in politics and media, yet I couldn't get any assistance. What on earth would the average American do if the same thing happened to them? I realized then that if I wanted to see change, that I would need to run for office. The American people deserve representation that listens to and acts on their concerns. So here I am, running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District, because the American people deserve a voice and a representative who, like President Trump, will keep the promises they make and speak up loudly and clearly for that silent majority. All right. Welcome back. So here we are. So now we're going to examine exactly why the hack happened. But there's also another clip that I wanted to play. I'm sorry about them reporting about the Twitter hack, because here's where you see the hacks in the mainstream media. We saw Fox saying, oh, it might have been a phishing link. Oh, you know this. Oh, you know that. See, plants can be um, seeds can be planted. Before it didn't slip, right? Years before, weeks before, days before, and hours before uh, to complete a mission and to get something done. And there's always that, let's make sure so we can ensure that we're safe. Here is uh, Hannity talking about The widespread about Twitter hack just targeted some of the most high-profile accounts on the platform, including Joe Biden, Elon Musk, uh, Barack Obama. Here with the latest, our very own Rick Leventhal. Rick, this is Sean, a couple really hundred widespread. Million, yeah. A couple hundred million followers may have been surprised to see what Kanye West, former President Obama, Bill Gates, and others were posting on their feeds. Presidential hopeful Joe Biden's account posted, quote, I am giving back to the community. All Bitcoin sent to the address below will be sent back doubled. If you send $1,000, I'll send back $2,000. Only doing this for 30 minutes. Enjoy. Billionaire Elon Musk had a similar message posted on his account claiming he was feeling grateful. Corporations, including Apple, were victimized, too. Part of a widespread hack attack across the social media platform with preset limits, apparently. Kanye said he could only spare 10 million bucks. Amazon's Jeff Bezos said he'd shell out 50 million. Some messages were quickly reposted when deleted, and lots of folks actually fell for the Bitcoin bit with Biden's account receiving over $100,000 in cryptocurrency. Now, a short time ago, the Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey, tweeted, of course, tough day for us at Twitter. You see that earlier statement from Twitter about that security incident. Uh, Just a short time ago, Jack Dorsey tweeted, tough day for us at Twitter. We all feel terrible this happened. We're diagnosing and we'll share everything we can when we have a complete understanding of exactly what happened, Sean. So, first of all, they line their pockets. That's number one. Because, you know, the thing about cryptocurrency is it's anonymous. You don't know where it goes. And you're not obliged to hand it over either. Uh, That has never happened and will not happen. So they raise money because they have no money. So that's that. Done. So why did Twitter do this? Let's travel back to when Jack Dorsey was uh, hacked. So that was the seed. 
that was the seed to say, whoa, the CEO of Twitter was hacked. Jeez, it was other people. It was people telling him, you're doing this and we're going to do this and it's going to happen and we're going to show that there's vulnerabilities and it even targeted you. Play ball. And he did. And then he went to Africa. Why? Now... That push has come to shove. That invitement that that indictments are loony, looming. I just can't speak. Looney tunes. So as indictments are coming, uh, we have uh, criminal subpoenas where it's like hand it over. Now, what is it exactly the handover messages? I mean, yeah, there's probably some sketchy messages between them, but nothing too big because they can't trust every, you know, migrant or offshore person or, you know, whoever Jack Dorsey imports that's not American that uh, looks at our DMs to be safe. So they're not stupid. So what is it? I'll tell you what it is. When Laura Loomer was banned from Twitter, uh, she was not able to even create a fake account just to watch, you know, just... Not to tweet, just to to be able to get the news. She wasn't able to. And I told her, "Uh, girl, she's like, I use another phone number. I was like, ah, your device is compromised. You need a new phone. What? Your device. They blacklist your device. You have to get a new phone, a new phone number in order to be able to get back on Twitter and not get banned, right? And that's because the device ID is stored. So what is the importance of device ID? From every single phone, every single, well, computers, not so much, but the phones for sure. It is attached to your account. So if you like sell your phone on, you know, marketplace uh, on Facebook or eBay or Craigslist or whatever, or just sell it to your friend and they get on Twitter, they will be automatically linked with your account too. So there's a device ID for each of these uh, phones and devices, iPads as well, Uh, computers as well. But like I said, because they're more complex components, Mac addresses can be shifted per se, right? They're not hard. So here we are, device IDs. That's what we need to know. See, anybody can say, oh, somebody hacked my account. You know, I don't do this. I don't do that. I didn't log on from there. It was Russia. It was China. Your device ID says everything. So what they went in there to do was to change the device IDs. Because what if they linked one of those porn accounts, what are those child porn accounts to, I don't know, bigwigs, politicians? Mm? So remember I when I did that show where I was talking about, I think it was, when was it? When was it that, that, that Millie was at the White House? Because she was furious with me. <laughs> she was like, I'm going through the White House and you're sending me kind of redacted pictures of, you know, compromised children. And now they're going to go nuts, <laughs> you know, at security. <laughs> and I was like, it's okay. They see everything. Uh, you know, I laughed about it. She was like red in the face. It was then when I found that these accounts had followers like, Prime Minister of uh, South Korea, uh, you know, kind of like the mayor's missing now, right? The mayor of Seoul, 
is missing. Uh, I found that the head of the DSA chapter for the Western region was also following one of these accounts. Also found that there were other politicians following this account. And then I found that secret uh, Twitter accounts, right, that are not their official ones, were following, uh, you know, certain uh, child pornography and other types of accounts. Uh, so here we are where they are investigating. And if they find that the device ID from these dummy accounts that were interacting in illicit trade of humans and children um, linked to their um, blue checkmark accounts would be a problem. So that's one. The other one is a master file. Now, I've told you about these generals because, see, today I'm going to demonstrate to you how, yes, we have corrupt politicians. Yes, we have a, you know, uh, a, a fourth unelected branch of government. And it's not head. The head of it is not intelligence community. It's your generals, the ones that served you, the one that, you know, fought for us, the one that strategized and left. Those are the ones we have to be careful of because there's a code amongst soldiers and sailors to your admiral and to your general. And, you know, this is a Praetorian code to protect the ruler. So there is one general that I've mentioned many, many times that has a master file of devices, master file. And that master file may have been found and being tracked back to social media. So this whole hack, so pay attention to who cried about not being able to get on. That means that their device was on the master file of this fourth unelected branch of government, which means that they have a dummy account that they communicate with or follow real patriots with or interact with real patriots, assuming I, I've, I've called out people that have DM me and I'm like, why aren't you using your real account? And then, you know, I never hear from them again. <laughs> Some of them are on our TV. Some of them were out there saying, oh, you know, this happened and that. And they assured us that just everyone was taken down for safety. Not everyone was taken down. I'm sorry. It was very, very specific. The general has a list of devices. And if your device with your phony account is linked to your blue check account, they got to scrub it. They got to scrub it because then you're in. Big trouble for exposing their methods of communication, your methods of connectivity, and the fact that you are not a patriot and you're pretending. But it's okay. It's okay. So that's why I wanted to educate you on hacks. Because like I said, with these hacks, they take information away. They obfuscate information. They come in and that penetration into their servers, their hard-wired um, you know, data where there's a split and a seam is justified because of forensics. And this is where things are replaced. So I thought everyone should just pay attention to see who was the one saying, oh, me, oh, my, this is horrible. And they hacked it. They want to know what Elon Musk and Kanye were talking about and Kim. And it's like nobody cares because they're not stupid enough to do it over DM. Like some of them are like Chrissy Teigen is super dumb. Uh, you know, is she even a never mind she <laughs> but 
uh, some are dumb to say things, but the things that we're looking for, uh, you know, and I'm sorry to say this is not the pedophilic comments, sex photos or anything. This goes beyond that, beyond that. So I want you to remember that. So this is why yesterday I spent so much time walking you through how three hacks that we know very well of, one of them that ended up in a death and two people found guilty, was not a hack. I had removed the information. But the removal of the information that I did, they said was a hack, so that way they can go in, seam it, and replace it. And remember, I downloaded like all the passport and travel data of Hillary Clinton, Obama, Oprah, um, Charles Barkley, who I'm trying to remember who else I went through. Um, it was, uh, oh, Steven Spielberg, uh, Polanski, uh, Roman Polanski, uh, uh, Pfeiffer, Cruz. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> Not some other contractor. I did that. And I was told to do that. So that wasn't a hack. It was a cover up. So again, hacks are not always hacks. And Jack Dorsey's expose and then hopping over to Africa was the seed to say, oh, even he was hacked. So don't be mad. Uh, so the people that don't understand think it's hacked because now they're going to come out and say, oh, it was China. Or they're going to tie it maybe to something like QAnon or a patriot or even me because I knew that they were going to get hacked. Uh, so, you know, this is how they try uh, to, um, you know, blame the person that is calling them out for their wrongdoings. Like I said yesterday. So kind of like. Oh, the DNC was hacked. So was the RNC. Yeah, and it was totally hacked by Russia, but it was Chinese code that looked like Russian code. Oh, which, by the way, I'm still looking for that video. Gosh darn it. And if anyone finds it, cybersecurity chief, August 2016, uh, I think he was in the House or the Senate, and he was testifying, saying that the DNC hack code that CrowdStrike pre presented was not Russian. It was Chinese that was made to look like Russian. Uh, you know, Vault 7 stuff. He actually said that. I think he's been fired. Um, I, I had that video. I had put it on an article in Big League. But, you know, that article has gone from Big League. And that's why Big League's changed. So, um, you know, I want you guys to see things differently. This is why I'm walking you through history, telling you how things, the facts, not the reality hacks. I'm helping you identify the magician's tricks because these are all tricks, tricks, tricks and tricks are definitely for kids and not for adults that have livelihoods, children and do not wish to be milk like cows. So now um, I want to get into the good stuff. I want to get into uh, the intro for what we're going to talk about uh, this next hour which um, I think I should start it with Truman. Let me see. Okay. Yeah, so I'm going to take you there. I'm going to take you to the, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a three minute clip of um, former President Truman discussing the post dam conference. You're going to be like, what's that? Trust me, it'll all make sense by the end of the hour. You'll be able to understand that what we're seeing today has all happened before, just um, applied differently. Take a listen. 
I was the first one to arrive. Uh, Winston Churchill was the second one to arrive. He came the day after I, was, I arrived. And Stalin was two days later. I heard afterwards that Stalin had, uh, had a slight heart attack. I didn't find out about it until he had arrived and told me what the trouble was. But each one of us uh, gave a state dinner in turn. Uh, I gave the first one, Mr. Churchill gave the second one, and, and uh, Stalin gave the third one. At Stalin's dinner, uh, he kept drinking out of a bottle. Everybody else was drinking uh, vodka or trying to. It's hard to get down, you know, if you're not used to it. At any rate, I turned around to him and I said, that must be a different brand you're drinking. He had a little glass about the size of a thimble. I reached over and took his bottle and poured it in my uh, vodka glass after it was empty, and it was French wine. He wasn't drinking vodka at all. And I said, you put, no, uh, put one over on us, aren't you? Oh, well, he says, you know, my heart won't stand this heavy drinking, and I have to go slowly. Well, you know, the Russians never put on a dinner and it, 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 without a whole raft of toasts. At the Russian state dinner at Potsdam, they had 14 toasts. And I learned early in the game not to take a drink every time they offered a toast, but just back out like you're taking one because you would be unable to carry on the business of the meeting. It was a, 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 an education in itself to be dealing with two brilliant men such as Winston Churchill and Stalin. And they were representing Great Britain and Russia. We had to move all our divisions that had not been used in France during this war and to move them across the United States and send them to the Pacific because we still had a war on our hands in the Far East. And it was necessary that that be done. That was one of the reasons for the meeting at Yalta and at Potsdam. We had hoped that Russia would get into the Japanese war on our side. Russia didn't come into the Japanese war until after the bombs had been dropped on, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They saw immediately that... The Stop. Okay, now I'm just going to tell you this. This is a lie. Russia had already made an agreement to um, work with Japan, right, in 1905. So, Truman Show. Japan was going to surrender and they wanted to be in to kill and they came in just about three days before the Japanese surrendered. And they caused us so much trouble at uh, Yalta and at the, uh, far, at the Western European surrender that I made it a uh, point that they would have a representative at the Japanese surrender, but they would have nothing to say about what took place. And we didn't have any trouble with them with the Japanese. We got the thing straightened out the way we wanted it and carried it through to the end. The way we wanted it, I'm going to tell you who actually sorted out what they wanted with the Japanese. But if the Russians had been able to get in there, they'd have caused us just as much trouble in Japan as they did, as they did in Europe. But they didn't have a chance. And that's the only reason they didn't do it. And this is why the Russians never trusted Americans again. See, this is him speaking in 1945. Forty years earlier, Roosevelt had already met with the Russians and had, and had already formulated a plan about the Korean Peninsula. 
Yes, he had. So you're going to say, wait a minute. So you mean in 1905, they made a pact and he had made a secret agreement, which, by the way, the Koreans weren't even present for. Right. And this meeting in post in 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 um, uh, Postam, again, the Koreans weren't even present for because they were discussing the division of Korea, who would get it and what without them being present. And who decided the borders? <laughs> I've been talking about these stars and how they believe they know best for the rest of the world. And that is how you can see and understand who this fourth unelected branch of government is and who runs it, who runs it. Because, yes, you're going to be like, well, we've been taught in history they're great. Listen, they did a lot of great things for America. But, you know, look at their body language here in 1945. I I think this is a silent clip, but I'm just going to play it quickly for you guys so you can see them. So what we're seeing is um, Stalin and um, uh, the conference between the UK, Russia, and the United States, uh, where they're all meeting. Uh, This uh, conference was from July until August 2nd, uh, and they all met together to discuss uh, the Korean Peninsula. No Koreans were present Uh, There was a representative uh, that was going back to the Asian delegation. That's the one thing that our history teachers do not teach us, real history. And the real history is what we need to remember. Teddy Roosevelt had set the stage. You understand? So, yes, they had done great things because they had ambitions for America. But again, which were the powers that were always in power? The only remaining solid uh, historical Christian nation of uh, Russia, and that's the only thing that they despise, the Christianity portion of it. And this is why they closed themselves off and became communists because they got hungry with it. The crown and the new crown, the United States. So, you know, people need to understand who the real powers are. I've said this before. It was after 1945, after this meeting, that even though the Senate had already passed the agreement to give the Chinese nationalists uh, weapons uh, to be able to fight off the communists, they let them get overtaken. So uh, on that note, guys, I am breaking in just a few seconds. Uh, So... I'm going up for ads. The radio station puts ads. Uh, There will be silence for about um, just five minutes. Real news. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So I hope uh, you kind of got a little bit of a foundation of what, uh, you know, was happening back in that time uh, in regards to, uh, you know, Korea, because that's what they were discussing, even though they say it's Japan. So we'll get to that. But 
I want you now to just have that in the back of your mind. Think of the Asian continent while I walk you through events of 1919. See, I've been saying this for a very long time, and I was like so, so excited when the president mentioned this. I was ecstatic, ecstatic. I was like, oh, no. So I want to take you back to 1919. I found this great uh, video um, where this guy is actually dropping some really good history. A few things, you know, because I do have some memorabilia from that time uh, that are a little bit off, but he does a really good job. So I want you guys to listen to him because he explains to you something that a lot of people don't know. The communist revolution in America, the Red Scare of 1919. So if you remember, I told you that this, uh, you know, Spanish flu, the reason it's called Spanish is because the Spaniards were not in World War II. They were the uh, World War I and they were just reporting about the flu and how it came and infected our soldiers and everyone was wearing masks and then we had riots and then we had explosions. This guy puts it in so perfectly. Uh, and uh, for those that are watching on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and Periscope, you can actually see it. I, I really like this guy. Even though he's not 100% accurate, I would say he's 98%. And if you don't like the audiobook you chose, they'll exchange it for free. So it's a win-win. And now, on to the show. It's August 1919, and the United States is in the grip of anti-Bolshevik fever. Strikes, bombings, race riots, and government crackdowns are racking the country. The government creates the Anti-Radical General Intelligence Division within the Bureau of Investigation and puts J. Edgar Hoover at the helm. And the hunt for radicals and supposed radicals is on. It's the Red Scare. Hi, I'm Jesse Alexander and welcome to The Great War. By the late summer of 1919, many Americans had perceived Bolshevism as a domestic threat since as early as November 1917. During this period, a sort of hysteria grew up around the idea of a Bolshevik coup against the U.S. government. Known Stop. Did you hear it? It started in, seven, in 1917. I'm just trying to point that out. It's the first Red Scare, but we're just going to call it the Red Scare today since in 1919, nobody knew there would be a second one 30 years later. So... In 1919, some Americans began to view groups such as the Industrial Workers of the World, the Socialist Party, and anarchists as Bolshevik supporters willing and capable of infiltrating the labor movement. U.S. intervention in the Russian Civil War was opposed by many politicians, but it still helped create the image of Bolsheviks as an enemy. So although the summer of 1919 was not the starting point of the Red Scare, it was the culmination of the fears and tensions of the previous year and a half, and the result was strikes, race riots, bombings, and government crackdown. Huh. Kind of sounds like they're describing 2017, 2018, 2019. Are you seeing this? I just want to show you. One thing that I've learned in my time of travel is that there's one playbook, and you have to trust the plan. They always stick to it. That's why. Now, in the years before 1919, the U.S. labor movement had grown in strength with the goal of achieving better conditions for workers who had suffered terribly from harsh working conditions in the factories. Wait a minute, so you mean the economy was booming? Okay, let's keep going. 
groups like the American Federation of Labor, or AFL, which represented over 100 unions and had more than 2 million members, often went on strike. But they also worked within the existing system, rather than for a revolution. This resulted in legislation which improved conditions for workers. But this so-called progressive era came to an end with the coming of the Great War. To increase war production, labor and government agreed to halt strikes, and the government promised to maintain protections for workers. But this agreement between the AFL and the government came to an end once the war was over. This meant American workers in 1919 were facing some serious difficulties. The loss of government support for their rights, a wave of inflation, and a rise in unemployment. For Wait a minute. Wait. Isn't that what the Democrats did? Ask for higher wages, taking away your jobs, and saying, oh, dear. That's when... Planned Parenthood started to come into fuel, you know, into the forefront there, right? We had the Spanish flu, everyone was wearing masks. Hmm. A million demobilized soldiers and nine million former war industry workers were now looking for work, a potent cocktail that would soon explode. In the face of these difficulties, the unions called for better wages and working conditions. But industrialists and employers opposed them, especially on topics like collective bargaining. Now, this conflict caused around 3,600 strikes across the country that year. And this rise in labor unrest stoked fears among some that organized labor was, or could become, a vehicle for Bolsheviks to carry out a revolution in the United States. Now, this perception was strengthened by the involvement in some strikes of more radical labor groups, like the Industrial Workers of the World and the Socialist Party. And the Red Scare began to grow. In January, Seattle was rocked when over 35,000 shipyard workers struck for better wages and working hours, which soon turned into a general strike in the city. Now, despite the fact that the leaders of the strike were not revolutionary, there were some radicals among the rank and file. One organizer later explained, I believe that 95% of us agree that the workers should control the industries. Nearly all of us agree on that, but very strenuously disagree on the method. Some of us think we can get control through the cooperative movement. Some of us think through political action, and others think through industrial action. The press ran wild with stories of Bolshevik plots amongst the unions. The strike was non-violent, but still the media portrayed it as a Bolshevik attack, with headlines like, Reds directing Seattle strike to test chance for revolution, or belief grows that strike is start of Bolshevik revolt. Seattle's mayor, Ole Han Wait a minute, you mean it happened in Seattle then too? Oh dear, trust the plan. Hansen swore in an extra 1,000 police officers and personally led 800 federal troops into the city in his American flag-draped car. He gave the order to the new officers to kill on sight anyone attempting to break the law or start a riot. Afterwards, Hansen toured the country the rest of the year, giving speeches about the danger of an imminent revolution. The so-called sympathetic Seattle strike was an attempted revolution. That there was no violence does not alter the fact. The intent, openly and covertly announced, was for the overthrow of the industrial system. Here first, then everywhere. True, there were no flashing guns, no bombs, no killings. Revolution, I repeat, does not need violence. The general strike, as practiced in Seattle, is of itself the weapon of revolution, all the more dangerous because quiet. To succeed, it must suspend everything. That is to say, it puts the government out of operation. 
And that is all there is to revolt, no matter how achieved. Oh, you mean the way the government is out of business right now? We're not operating right now? Kind of like that? See, when they did this, then they gave us the nice roaring 20s, and then they gave us the fake dollar, right? The fiat currency. Pay attention. This is a playbook that the British have used through time. The Catholic Church, when they created and weaponized the Pope back then, used it through time, right? We had uh, Russia use it through time. So now we're just recycling. Can you see? He's saying everything that sh- that the president right now is saying, but this was said in 1919, exactly 100 years ago, guys. Fearing that official and public hostility might damage the cause of labor across the country, the AFL forced the strikers to back down. But the tone was set for future strife. But it wasn't just the press that was ratcheting up the fears of Bolshevism. The government did so too. In February, a Senate committee originally formed to investigate German wartime propaganda was repurposed for an investigation of Bolshevism and all other anti-American radicalism in the United States. Stop. So at that time, the Senate and the media were on the side of America first. Are you paying attention? They wanted to say, all right, where are these communists? Where are they hiding in our nation? This is a problem. These riots, these strikes, this this uh, new normal that they want. Ah, <laughs> and this is where they were quickly replaced. And was meant to inquire concerning any party exercising or claiming to exercise authority in Russia. The committee released its findings in March. It first claimed the Socialist Party of America, the IWW, and the Bolsheviks were working together to stage a revolution in America, as evidenced by all three groups' history of using a red flag. Also, the committee members thought up to 8,000 unions were vulnerable to Bolshevik propaganda. Now, to fix the problem, they proposed the country needed new laws to restrict the activities of aliens and radicals, more censorship, and a continued military presence in Russia. In April, A series of bombings further stoked suspicions of a radical uprising. Nearly 40 bombs were sent to prominent figures, including Mayor Hansen, Senators, Attorney General Palmer, and industrialists J.P. Morgan Jr. Oh, you mean they mailed bombs? How creative. And John D. Rockefeller. Since initially no suspects could be identified, the press jumped to conclusions. The New York Times pinned the bombings on Bolsheviks, anarchists, and IWW members. The Harrisburg Telegraph even claimed the failed assassinations meant to spark a nationwide revolution on May 1st, the traditional holiday for organized labor. The May Day parades and celebrations of both radical and non-radical labor groups were accompanied by widespread rioting in numerous cities, and both police and anti-labor civilians used force against participants. Violence was worse in Cleveland, where police used tanks to break up the celebrations, and police and vigilantes wrecked the city's socialist headquarters. So, at this point, strikes and hysteria about Bolshevik plots had led to bloodshed on May Day, and this marked an escalation of the violence accompanying the Red Scare, which would now get even worse. Now, mob violence against leftists for their supposed connections to Bolshevism had already occurred back in November 1918, when soldiers and sailors stationed in New York City attacked socialist meetings. But back then, the police had attempted to protect the socialists from the attackers. 
But in the tense climate of mid-1919, with fear of Bolshevism gaining ground in public discourse, police and anti-leftist civilians both attacked demonstrators. This was also the first time that simultaneous violent action was taken against leftists in cities across the country. The Red Scare had reached a new phase. Things continued to escalate in June. On the 2nd, bombs exploded in eight cities, which reinforced the climate of fear. The bombing of Attorney General Palmer's house in Washington was the most infamous of the attacks. Lucky for Palmer, the bomb went off prematurely, killing the attacker, destroying the house, and leaving red literature the bomber had been carrying strewn all over the scene. Huh, how convenient. It uh, exploded early and they found bomb-proof communist literature everywhere. Kind of like those bomb... Remember that passport from 9-11? that was in the pocket of the guy that exploded the plane in the Twin Tower. And while it melted steel, that passport flew out of the bomber, the, the hijacker's pocket that was in the plane that supposedly cut through steel and melted everything and flew down, all the way down, 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 down. And some anonymous passerby picked it up and said, oh, this came from the plane and handed it over. You know, kind of like that. The flyers called for class warfare and were signed by a group called the Anarchist Fighters. Now, the evidence points to a small group of about 50 anarchists known as the Galeanists, one of whom likely carried out the attack as revenge for the scheduled deportation of the group's leader, Luigi Galeani. Now, despite the fact that the bombings were not an attempt at revolution, some blamed the bombings on the Bolsheviks and others under the catch-all term Red Banner. You mean uh, Luigi Antifa, anti-fascist, the movement that was born in Italy, right? Antifa. So this is Antifa. Such as IWW members, German sympathizers, and anarchists. And Palmer agreed. Later that month, the Lusk Committee, which had been created by the New York State Legislator earlier in the year to investigate seditious acts and prevent a Bolshevik revolution, decided to start its investigation earlier than planned. Led by Senator Clayton R. Lusk, the committee had police raid New York City's Russian Soviet Bureau, the city's IWW headquarters, the left-wing socialist headquarters, and the RAND School of Social Science, a socialist college. The authorities interpreted documents seized at the Russian Soviet Bureau and the RAND School, including books by Lenin, as evidence of a revolutionary plot. The committee questioned what... Oh, you mean <laughs> Lenin, who had already struck a deal... Uh, so this is 1919, 1920, 15 years ago with Teddy Roosevelt, right? Are you seeing this? Because like I said, boy, was that dark-haired woman that took that Declaration of Independence and made it print. How pissed she was that before the ink dried, they already had penetrated us and they had already formulated a plan to create that one global empire. Really sucks really, really sucks. Can you see it now? Whether what they considered violent propaganda should be allowed at all, and opened a case to have the school shut down. Now, the Lusk Committee raids continued and intensified the practice of police seizures and creating cases based on leftist literature that had begun in 1918. In the end, the Lusk Committee failed, since the courts declined to pursue the cases due to a lack of credible evidence. But the Lusk Committee wasn't only interested in foreign and leftist groups in isolation. They also claimed that these groups were planning to radicalize African Americans to help overthrow the government. This reflected a common view of African Americans.
wait a minute. You mean the Democrats use black Americans as pawns and said that they are going to revolt against the government? Oh, okay. Americans as Bolshevik sympathizers during the summer of 1919, which saw widespread race riots in dozens of American cities. African Americans were labeled wobblies, that's an IWW member, socialists, Bolsheviks, or anarchists, if they criticized Orthodox American politics or capitalism. Resistance and questioning Jim Crow laws or black disenfranchisement was linked in the eyes of many to Soviet Russia. Black newspapers were monitored and investigated by the US government for fear that these periodicals would attempt to Bolshevize African Americans. J. Edgar Hoover even referred I just wanted to make it clear. This is the switch that they were talking about. There was no switch. They were both on the same side. Can you see it now? Both Republicans and Democrats. Can you see it now? I want you to be able to see it because what's about to happen with our military is going to blow your mind because you're going to understand it. Referred to the black community newspaper, The Messenger, as the Russian organ of the Bolsheviki in the United States. And he believed that the weekly Negro world advocated Soviet Russian rule and Bolshevism. The U.S. Military Intelligence Division even concluded that the civil rights organization, the NAACP, was controlled by Bolsheviks. Now, when race riots broke out in July in Washington, D.C. and in Chicago, the Bureau of Investigation claimed that Bolshevik influences had provoked the African-American communities into seditious activity. The New York Times ran a headline on July 28th which read, Reds try to stir Negroes to revolt. In reality, though, white mobs had started the riots in both cities. And though the riots of 1919 represent... Wait a minute. You mean kind of like the Black Lives Matter movement where there's no black Americans protesting? It's just white people. So here we are again. Black people are causing riots, but it was all white people. Can you see it? One of the first times blacks actively fought back against mob violence, they nonetheless suffered disproportionate loss of life and thousands of black homes were burned. Many black veterans that had just returned from duty in the First World War were also targeted because they were seen as a threat. But the riots were not a Bolshevik attempt to mobilize African Americans for revolution. They were the result of racism against African Americans and tensions brought on by the competition for jobs and housing amidst demographic and economic change. But in the climate of the summer of 1919, the race riots were just one aspect of the growing Red Scare. And as the summer drew to a close, the panic over an impending Bolshevik revolution continued. The Red Scare continued in the late summer and early fall with the formation of the United States' first communist parties. 10,000 mostly US-born members formed the Communist Labor Party, whose platform consisted of the organization of workers as a class, the overthrow of the capitalist rule, and the conquest of political power by the workers. <laughs> Sounds like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez like, uh, put out their, their uh, you know, mission statement right there. Another party, the Communist Party of America, was also created by 60,000 mostly foreign-born members. Its manifesto stated, The Communist Party shall keep in the foreground its consistent appeal for proletarian revolution, the overthrow of capitalism, and the establishment of the dictatorship of the proletariat. Some of the membership of these communist parties was drawn from existing political organizations. About 60,000 Socialist Party members and about 2,000 IWW members joined. Now, This showed that there was some support for communism in these two groups, but 
the Socialist Party continued to work legally through the existing political system to achieve its goals, while the IWW never fully committed itself to... Can you guys see that sign, democracy, industrial and political, and then they have the word Socialist Party in the background. Democracy and socialism, you see it. The insanity we're seeing today played out 100 years ago because this is where they wanted to make the switch, make it look like there was a switch. There was no switch. See, back then there were a lot of parties. Yes, there were the far radicals like the, you know, jihadis in Congress like Omar and AOC. But can you see how everything we are living today already happened 100 years ago when they wanted to create a new normal? And that was to usher us into a fake currency. So that's number one. Pay attention. To communism. The non-Bolshevik character of the Socialist Party and the IWW made it unlikely that they were plotting with Soviet Russia for a Bolshevik revolution. Now, as for the avowedly communist parties themselves, their total membership of about 70,000 represented less than one-tenth of one percent of the adult population of the country, which has caused some to question whether they had enough support necessary to carry out their program at all. Now, while the forming of the new communist parties kept up fears of a plot in some quarters, the strikes did not let up throughout September, and neither did the fear of imminent revolution. In Boston, the police force demanded better working conditions and the right to unionize under the AFL. In the climate of the Red Scare, public officials and some residents feared the police would switch sides. Now, the Boston police did go on strike on September 9th. After a night of looting in the streets, a local newspaper claimed, the city was abandoned virtually to the hoodlum and criminal in a night of terror and anarchy. Governor Calvin Coolidge and Mayor Andrew J. Peters gathered the officers who were not striking, new volunteer policemen, and 5,000 State Guard soldiers to restore order. At this point, Montana Senator Henry L. Myers claimed, The nation will see a Soviet government set up within two years' time. In an echo of wartime logic, the strikers were branded as deserters, and instead of mediating the situation, on September 13th, the city decided to fire all striking police officers and recruit new ones. In Did you hear that? They wanted to fire all of those that were striking and recruit new ones. So remember how I said, let the NYPD just call in sick. Will Mayor de Blasio fire them all? And if he does, how will he replace them? See, now it's 2020. You can't just make an emergency declaration and just pick out a few people and say, okay, here's a gun, here's that. Because that's all federally regulated. See, this is where we want to put them in the same position. Let's trust the plan they have and use it against them. This is why I keep saying, if the police all band together... And not strike, but they all got, you know, oops, I accidentally drank that, you know, Miralax combination, can't come to work, you know, all just happened to do that at the same time. That would have to force Mayor de Blasio to file for bankruptcy because he's not afforded federal funds because his workers don't want to go. And that's his fault. And that's where President Trump comes in. And that's where law and order begins to come to fruition. Coolidge's words, there is no right to strike against the public safety of anybody, anywhere, anytime. 
Later in September, a major strike broke out in the steel industry. Back in July, the AFL wanted Albert H. Gary, chairman of the U.S. Steel Corporation, to renegotiate the rights of workers to include collective bargaining, regulated work hours, better wages, and days off. Okay, so you want to know what this collective bargaining was for, guys? So what it was for is was setting up these unions, right? Because what have I told you? Unions are the ones that fund the Democrat Party. All the union dues. Look it up. I've written articles on Loomer.com, on my page as well, where I'm telling you that Amalgamated Bank takes every single penny that you put into your dues. And they, and I'm air quoting here, invest it. And how they invest it is you can Google it. They are the sole funders of Democrats, which, by the way, there's also a bank that does that for the Republicans, uh, but they're only the Bush, McCain, Cruz type Republicans, and it was based out of uh, Texas. I mentioned that, too. So just so you know, Republicans, Democrats, here they are on the same team. This was a plan. Now, back in the days of the late 1800s and the early 1900s, you know, and the deals that Teddy Roosevelt struck... He believed that they were doing it right. And you know what blows my mind that no one thinks of it? How, how in 1905, when we didn't have grand airplanes and easy travel, did one of the U.S.'s largest delegations go to Asia? How is it that the Koreans came to America to discuss things? Nobody thinks about those things. Maybe they're not telling you the whole story. Because that doesn't make sense. I mean, what, did they stay on a ship for two months to just go meet for an hour with Roosevelt and hash it out? Are you, you get what I'm saying? Or did he do that? This is what you should be asking. You should be that person that watches a movie and says, man, uh, how come she doesn't look like she slept? She's wearing makeup. Or, hey, they've been doing this for eight hours. None of them took a bathroom break. Or, oh, do they ever go to the bathroom on this show? You know, I'm just saying I ask those questions. But anyway, just reality questions. Because you know how life is. You knew what you're told and they had in 1905. So how did these big delegations you know, across, you know, continents and, and, and oceans happen so quickly. Gary refused. And on September 22nd, over 275,000 steelworkers went on strike nationwide, with the number rising to 365,000 just four days later. Yet again, the press linked the strikes to Bolshevism. The New York Times claimed that it came as a shock that organized labor was prepared to accept such a radical brand of state socialism. And a clergyman wrote in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, The American Federation of Labor seems to have fallen into the hands of the Bolsheviki and the Reds. Criticism of the strike increased when a bomb plot was discovered in Gary, Indiana, and the press declared that the Bolshevik radicals in the country planned to use organized labor to overthrow the government. Allegations emerged that those arrested for the bomb plot happened to also be the bomb makers of the April and June attacks, Oh, wait, we had bombs. You missed that one. Were you ever told that? I don't know. So wait a minute. So their plan of these Bolshevikis, these communists, these left radical left wing crazies, we're going to use unions right, to fund this overthrow. Oh, heed that warning. And the authorities confiscated Communist Party flyers from the alleged plotters. 
The steelworkers denied any involvement with the bomb plot or the communists, but it was too late, and even more anger was directed against the strike. Within a month of that strike, Attorney General Palmer began raids to rid America of suspected radicals. He'd been preparing for this move since the June bombing of his house, and had received half a million dollars from Congress to apprehend, quote, those who sought to destroy law and order. In August, he had created the Anti-Radical General Intelligence Division, or GID, within the Bureau of Investigation, and put J. Edgar Hoover in charge. Oh, you mean another CIA director became president? I see. Now, Hoover created an index, which contained a vast amount of information about suspected radical organizations, including membership rosters, officers, and the time and place of meetings. Under Palmer and Hoover's direction, the GID's investigation of radicals became driven by xenophobia. The GID estimated that foreign-born residents made up... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The country is literally 100 years old at that time, and there was xenophobia. Everyone was foreign. The only people that weren't foreign were the firstborn after. Come on. Come on. Are you listening to this? This is what? Ha. Playbook. Trust the plan. Their plan is never, ever, ever something novel. Because, you know, like one of the listeners said in a comment, hey, what about those who run the deep state? That's the thing. You know, they're taking their marching orders. 90% of America's radicals, and that neutralizing them would put an end to the unrest. As summer turned to fall and the Red Scare continued, the GID was preparing to act on its suspicions, as we will see in a future episode. So, by the early fall of 1919, the Red Scare had exerted a major influence on American politics and the lives of its citizens for nearly two years. The fear of a Bolshevik revolution was now intertwined with tensions between black and white, workers and owners, and native and foreign-born residents. Huh. Interesting. Kind of sounds like he's giving headlines of today. The result was paranoia in the press and politics, and violence in the streets. And all this while Wilson was trying to create a stable world order after the victory over the Central Powers. The dark days of summer 1919 were not the last instance of the Red Scare, as the winter of 1919-1920 would soon show. So, now that we've caught up on the Red Scare until the fall of 1919, it's time for our Roundup segment, where we take a look at what else is going on in August 1919. Now, I'm sure by now this comes as no surprise, but let's start in Russia. Ah, here we go. In Siberia, Admiral Kolchak's defeated army continued its retreat to the east. General Wrangel's White Army launched an offensive up the Volga from Tsaritsyn, but after one month of fighting, was thrown back. The Red Army launched an attack in the Don region, but this was stopped by the White forces. Further west, the Whites advanced against the Reds and Nestor Black Army and captured much of Ukraine. And on August... Wait a minute. I thought there wasn't a Ukraine before, huh? Eighth, Polish forces captured Minsk from the Bolsheviks as Polish-Soviet clashes continued. In Europe, on August 4th, the Romanian army captured Budapest and the Hungarian Soviet Republic collapsed. But don't worry, we will do another episode on Romania and Hungary later this year, where we will cover this in more detail. On the 11th, the Weimar Republic's constitution was ratified. It established parliamentary democracy, a legislature based on proportional representation, and universal suffrage for citizens 20 years and older. Also in Germany, from August 16th to 26th, the first... 
Universal suffrage uh, sounds like uh, reparations, right? A Silesian uprising took place, which saw fighting between pro-Polish forces who wanted the region to join Poland and German Freikorps and army troops who crushed the revolt. On the 17th, Bulgarian elections saw the victory of the Bulgarian Agrarian National Union under Alexander Stambuliski, who had previously spent three years in a prison as an opponent of the war. In Lithuania, on August 28th and 29th, Wait, didn't Lithuania just spurt out? What's going on? Over 200 local Poles were arrested by Lithuanian authorities. The Lithuanian government had intercepted messages from Polish military intelligence planning a coup to install a Polish-friendly Lithuanian government to achieve Pilsudski's plan of a union between the two countries. But despite the arrests, the actual plotters escaped detection for the time being. And finally, on August 8th, the Treaty of Rawalpindi was signed, bringing the third Anglo-Afghan war to an end. The Whoa, wait, Afghanistan, another war. British recognized Afghan independence, and the border between British India and Afghanistan was fixed at the Khyber Pass. Now, as usual, you can find all our sources in the video description below. Special thanks goes to Jonathan Dunning, who did the research for today's episode. Okay, so rather than me just talk, he used like really nice pictures. Uh, his uh, uh, YouTube channel is called The Great War. Uh, like I said, I, this video is not 100% accurate, but it helps dovetail into what we need to see and gives you the background to understand just how things are repeating themselves. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you're going to see just how crazy this is going to get today. I'm going to try to get this as, um, as well in as I can with the remaining 20 minutes that I have. Oh my gosh. I just wanted to play something. So you have this in your mind while you're watching and listening. Same thing because I describe what you're about to realize. Coming out of the infamous Hermit Kingdom have indicated that Kim Jong-un has been replaced as the face of the country. Now it's time for his sister Kim Yo-jung to step in and take on a role she's been helping cultivate her entire life. Yeah, that's because he's gone. So that's all I wanted you to listen to as we delve further into what we needed to get in. Now, I want you to see the tools that they use, uh, which is information warfare, uh, to see how communists push propaganda through. Um, here we go. That applies specifically to the army. Well, I'd like to show you on that a film of uh, the meeting of the American uh, uh, and the Soviet armed forces at the Elbe, uh, the River Elbe, during the, at the end of the last war. And you'll see how the Soviet government, the Lair Information Service, presents this meeting of the two armies. Could we have the film? Let's see what really happened at the Elba before we view scenes from the Soviet film. We are outside of Torgau, Germany, on the 26th of April, 1945, at the first official meeting of the American and Russian armies. The film you are seeing was made by Signal Corps photographers of the United States Army. Now to the Soviet version, complete with Korean dialogue. Uh -huh. 
Okay, so uh, for those that are listening, it showed Americans and, and Russians dancing and everything. That's the uh, historical recording that our military did. And then this uh, that you're hearing that has Korean, Korean speech was done by the Russians. <laughs> Now for the Soviet proof that our army officers are corrupt. As we see our play-acting general dally on the doorstep of decadence. That our generals are corrupt. So this is called uh, U.S. Information and Agency Communist Propaganda. So now I want to take you uh, to think about something. Think of the when the Cold War had begun and think of what Truman said, how they met up. Now I'm going to walk you through, I'm, I'm going to walk you through um, what really happened. Now, for those of you that are on um, YouTube and Twitch, you're going to be able to see a map because a lot of people don't, you know, don't know where North Korea lies and how important it is. So you'll see in the upper northeast part, there's a portion of North Korea uh, that uh, meets up with Russian territory and Chinese territory. And you'll see that there's a straight line, no natural border of North Korea and South Korea. So think of it like Florida. It looks like a, a piece of Florida that comes down uh, from China. And right across from the South uh, Korean coast uh, is Japan. So you have an understanding of where it sits. So I want you guys to understand that the, the North Korean split was insane because we had uh, North Koreans together for under the C dynasty uh, for 1,500 years. So you have to think, why is it that they split? And so by looking at what happened at the Berlin Wall, you're going to understand why they split. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate that to you uh, with facts. <laughs> so I want you guys to understand what kicked off the toppling of the Berlin Wall. If you know one thing about the fall of the Berlin Wall, it might be this. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Or this. Well, that was 1987, Ronald Reagan saying that. That didn't really do it. Or maybe... I've been looking for These moments were... You mean David Hasselhoff singing on the wall that he's looking for freedom in 1989? Whoa, what a big push to break that wall down. They needed that EU to come together quicker than anything. Huge and unifying Berlin and undermining the physical symbol of a divided Europe during the Cold War. But they don't top this one. The last few minutes of an otherwise uneventful press conference on November 9th, 1989. So here's how it happened. Uh, there was a, a presser that they said that foreigners can now, without any restraint, fly into the country and request asylum. 
und Verwandtschaftsverhältnisse beantragt werden. Das tritt nach meiner Kenntnis, ist das sofort unverzüglich. It might not look like it, but this is the moment the Berlin Wall became obsolete, completely by mistake. Mistake? You mean the way that they're chugging away to make sure that um, we don't have a border? Parts, each controlled by a separate power. These formed into two new countries in 1949, Democratic West Germany and Soviet-controlled Communist East Germany, officially named the German Democratic Republic, or GDR. Through the 1950s, West Germany prospered as a free society and industrious member of Europe, and hundreds of thousands of East Germans began emigrating west in search of new opportunities. To stem the tide, the GDR erected a barrier along the inner German border, separating the two countries with barbed wire, guarded checkpoints, and, in many places, defensive measures like landmines. But there was a loophole in Berlin. And it goes back to when the four Allied powers controlled Germany. You see, even though the German capital was well inside the Soviet zone, the Allies divided control of it equally to match the rest of the country. And Sounds like something made up, right? That what? So you're saying East Germany, the capital was divided between the East Germans, the British, the French and the Americans. What? It's like saying we split, you know, America in half and the capital of communist America is Los Angeles. But the city of Los Angeles has, uh, you know, the free part of America controlling it, <laughs> uh, the French and the Brits. Yeah, totally makes sense. See? See? This is where we're seeing it. See? So now I want you to look back at this map and see what is going on here with uh, Korea. So his, historical timeline of Korea. It talks about the division of Korea. Do you know who did the division? Do you know who divided Korea? You're going to be really upset. It was two clowns. Two clowns. Two Two generals, actually. Because, you know, like I've said, the Praetorians are a very big problem. They believe they know what's best for the whole world. So they will fix it. So what you have to think of is, you know, how did they actually successfully do this? And it goes back to how historians remember it being done. And how you're being taught. So I'm going to break it down to you. In 1905, 1905, Roosevelt had a meeting. He had a secret meeting that no one knew about. Well, a lot of people did because it was one of the largest Asian delegations in U.S. history. You think the North Korean delegation that we had, the meeting with them was a big deal? Look, 1905, 40 years later, it went into effect. So it's important for people to understand that Roosevelt felt that Asia was where they needed to go. They needed to control and infiltrate Asia. They knew that China was collapsing, right? And so, uh, you know, there was going to be a problem with North Asia. So he partnered with the Japanese Army and the British Navy. And all three of them made a deal to push back the Russians or the Orthodox Christians, because that is exactly the term used, 
from taking over China because they were empowering them as nationalists. And you're going to be like, wait a minute, Tori, what? Why would they do that? Just hear me out. Um, it was never advocated to liberate China completely. They decided how they were going to divide China. And they decided how they were going to fix things. And guess what? The Chinese were not invited. So, you know, how do you host a peace conference like the one you heard Truman talking about, right? That didn't involve the nation you were discussing. So when Truman and them got together, it was drawing a border in the Korean Peninsula. And they decided that Stalin was going to get the northern portion of Korea and that uh, the Japanese were going to have the southern part of Korea. Keep in mind, the Koreans were never invited or asked about anything. Okay? Important. We understand that. So this is how the discussions went. Having a peace conference to divide China up rather than helping them. And this is why I say we created communist China, because this is how you maintain control. So it's no different, you know, in effect, he tasked the Japanese to do what he called very racially charged because that was okay back then, a white man's mission. And, um, you know, they weren't about, you know, suits and, you know, uh, army attire. They were in robes and, you know, wispy ponytails, right? So this is where uh, the Americans stepped in. And so this is how the idea of a North and a South Korea happened because they were planning to break China up, which you saw and heard in the previous video, how there were fights in Ukraine and Lithuania. And you're like, wait a minute, didn't those not exist And Poland and everyone and borders and being pushed back and whatnot. So who made the decision, who made the decision to split Korea in two? Well, The decision was not done by the leaders of where to draw the border. In fact, it was two generals. And that is exactly how they created borders of North and South Korea. They literally decided where they're going to draw the line, and they did it. And they had no experience, no knowledge of Korea, nothing. They just said, you know what, we're just going to like do this line, and it's good. So, and guess what? The Koreans, against, again, were not asked. Who helped on doing this? Right. Roosevelt. He came in and he discussed it with them. Yeah, we need a border. So that's what happened. And so at that point, you know, China, uh, China was there. Russia was like, yo, I'm going to miss out. Like, what's happening? So these two Americans, right, uh, their names were Dean Rusk and Charles bon- Steel. Look them up. They went and decided, oh, we're just going to do it on the 38th degree right here. Just draw a line because there's no natural border. And so that was a U.S. occupied territory. So they, they actually decided this is where we're going to cut them in half and we're going to call it the 38th parallel. And that is how it happened. And you know why? The Koreans were in the middle of where China and Japan were fighting. 
China and Japan were fighting against each other. And those uh, fighting against Japan were the communists. Fighting against Japan were the nationalists. And then the Chinese communists that were being influenced by Russia were fighting the nationalists because they wanted to bring communism. So the United States decided that the Soviets are going to take the northern part and the southern part, U.S. controlled, but the Japanese are going to take it (laughs) because we said so. So this, you know who makes these decisions? A fourth unelected power, a branch of government that has no loyalty but to their ruler. So Joseph Stalin, President Roosevelt, had agreed to the split. And the Koreans were never invited to that meeting or asked. None. None. Lots of Koreans, they were protesting. They didn't want ties to any communist parties. And and then there was a civil war. They started a war, riots. And suddenly, brother against brother, people that were within the same nation, look at that, another PSYOP, or what we call today in the year 2020, an IIA. So we hijacked the Koreans while they were protesting this. Like, wait a minute, who are you, England, America, and, you know, Japan and Russia, sorry, to decide where we go? That's totally not fair. And lo and behold, Seoul, which was more advanced because they had a lot of Japanese influence, uh, stayed within uh, U.S. and uh, uh, Japanese hands. And the Soviets took uh, Pyongyang, and that was it. And that's exactly what happened. Easy peasy. They wanted no communism. They didn't want to spread it. But you know what? The Soviets were never the ones. It wasn't the Russians. It was the Soviet Chinese. It was the American communists. It was the ones that wanted communism to rise. So at that time, while they were splitting the peninsula, and really good politicians in the United States decided, hey, uh, I think that we should help the Chinese because they're going to become communists. Let's help them. You know what happened? Oh, yeah. Let's send them, sign the bill. Let's do it. And suddenly, embargo. No weapons, no help, no nothing. Nothing. We let them fall. And the thing is, who's we? You would say it's us. Listen, everything they've done, everything a politician has done is because we've let them do it. Okay? We've let them do it. We've let them do it because we trusted that the people that are supposed to deliver the news to us, we trusted that the people that are supposed to give us the facts, we trusted our schools, we trusted the people next to us. But the problem is power is power. That is all they care about is power. And here's how he talks, Truman talks, about the wars in Korea. You got to take a listen to this before... I have to go because we're out of time. Guys, does time fly or is it just me? Here we go. The Tribune in this great city that we're in now, the Russians had moved into West Germany uh, beyond Berlin. Berlin was behind the Iron Curtain after he'd been down in Australia when the, when the Japs were pushed back so he could occupy the Philippines again, which I had in the back of my mind tie up our appropriations. At any rate, when uh, Lincoln had tried out a whole string of generals, they were as interesting as they could be, and some of the stories they tell about them are very interesting now. And then the next great uh, time that came along was the war between the states, who was the commanding general in the 
colonial wars. So, again, generals, wars. Keep in mind, those people that uh, create one of the best strategies for us to maintain our freedoms, uh, to supposedly put forward American values and represent us, doesn't always mean that they don't thirst for power, too. In fact, they yield more power than every single clown in Congress, every single clown in the Senate. And they actually dared right now under our own noses in 2018, they dare yield their power against our president. The things that you are about to see is going to be incredible. And every veteran out there should be pissed. I know there's a code that you're supposed to be, uh, you know, under your general, under your admiral, you should show them utmost respect. But the news that is going to drop will rock your world and you'll just understand how insane this is. How insane this is. Because it's usually those stars that are the ones that believe that they know best. Think McChrystal. Think Hayden. Think Jones. Think Harris. And I can rattle off a lot more names. All of them believe that they know best for us and that we should listen to them and not question. So when the news breaks, keep in mind, this isn't the first time. So we've in an unprecedented move. So if this happened, that means the president's a really big problem. If these military, no, they do not represent the military. They, well, they do, but they don't. Because no soldier would say that passes the smell test ever. So keep that in mind. The power is yielded by those that give marching orders. Now, on that note, I want to wish you guys a wonderful evening. God bless from all of us here at Red State. And I'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place.